0: High
2: five five Absolutely buzzing after our main there which you haven't listened to yet because that'll be out on Tuesday. It's coming for you. It was chaotic. Today right now things are flying through the sky. Sophie, look. I understand I used to be a skeptic. I'm not a skeptic, are you crazy? I know some people listening might be. And I know that aliens <laughs> don't kind of, gir- you know, boil the loins of everyone. And I have become recently in the last few years just so into it, yeah. And I'm loving every minute. But something major has happened. Now Go we've on. had many, many whistleblowers to date. So let's quickly recap my favourite. Uh, let's just do a quick recap on Bob Lazar. You remember him? Oh, yeah. Oh, Bob. So, as Bob told us. Oh, we love Bob. He was a physicist, educated at MIT, Caltech. He was hired by the US Navy in the early 80s to work as a technician at a place called S-4, which was a subsidiary of Area 51, Mm -hmm. right? Of course. So, according to him, that facility contained nine recovered flying saucers. And Lazar, Bob claimed... That he had seen glimpses of alien cadavers and had sat in on briefings on human contact with alien life forms. So Bob's story broke then in the 90s. He went on the chat shows. He did loads of press. Because Bob, according to the official records, isn't actually a physicist. Never hired by the Navy. Didn't graduate from MIT or Caltech and his only possible connection to the military installations is a brief stint as a contractor um, with a firm associated with Los Alamos. So Bob's has on record, has mates who he studied with, who mm. are corroborating his story that he was there. The he, his record has been wiped. Mm. None of his um, qualifications have are searchable. He has no paper trail whatsoever. Which is fucking strange anyway. And Bob's like, well, they've been deleted. Bob's story is a kind of a classic and good background for the latest rounds of claims. A technology website called The Debrief has just published a very interesting whistleblower so this guy who claims to have all this knowledge of long hidden work on otherworldly crafts. So this whistleblower's name is David Crush, and he isn't touting sort of fraudulent credentials. He is a former national security professional. He was assigned to the U- the unidentified aerial phenomenon task force um, from between two- 2019 and 2022, and during that assignment, he appears to be. Uh, have done a lot of things involving UFOs and he's now speaking out so he is speaking out interestingly as well through national security channels which is how he's making this report so nobody is none of like the Guardian have done kind of a couple of stories on him it doesn't seem to be rocking the world of media. Like he, mm. it seems to be difficult to cooperate. He has no visible kind of evidence, no pictures. He only has his own accounts, and he is suggesting now that the U.S. government have literal spacecrafts uh, stashed in hangars. And he seems to be a fairly decent source. He is fucking nuked his career. Which is what's making it all the more kind of interesting.
3: Yeah, kind of like Len's plausibility there. Massively. Because he's obviously got skin in this game and he's made sacrifices. Because the truth is out there. So it is...
2: Everybody seems to be... NASA have done a big press call. They have a load of experts on. They have ceased denying that they have evidence they released the last couple of years all of those images that we spoke about before remember all of the kind of shaky cams from all the US fighter pilots they have opened a new kind of private channel for US fighter pilots and other professionals in that industry to log their accounts because there was this kind of feeling that you know we don't want to hear it and it was kind of embarrassing and you know all of the ex-US pilots were like look we're not getting involved in this but they've opened this channel and they've kind of started to collect the evidence. And it's all looking more and more likely that they have got spacecrafts from other areas, that they have been in contact, and there is even some suggestion that there's a living alien life form now under u.s control okay i'm drifting away i know you. i'm are. drifting towards so scully i know and so it are a lot of people and on all of the tiktoks that you'll see about it and all the new youtube kind of uh, excitable individuals like myself coming up and talking about it and saying, oh my fucking god i can't believe this is actually happening it's actually happening it's really happening yeah all of the comments are just this is operation blue beam do you remember this at all Operation Bluebeam. So Operation Blue Beam is a conspiracy theory. It originated in the 90s. It proposed that a grand deception is being planned by powerful entities like governments, secret societies to establish new world order or manipulate beliefs of the masses using advanced technology. So it suggests that staging, they will stage this false flag event involving fake alien invasion or the appearance of of religious figures would be orchestrated to control and manipulate humanity. So according to that theory, the alleged operation would use a combination of technologies, holography, is that how you say that word? Holography, mind control, advanced weaponry to create convincing and large scale sort of illusion. So that suggestion, the blue beam conspiracy suggestion is that this is a grand distraction technique from the powers that be as they do something nefarious globally. Like something mm. more
3: like tangibly nefarious through the New World Order. Yeah. So they're like distracting they're... us with the shiny UFO stories. Exactly. So the actual Operation Blue Beam isn't, it's not a conspiracy theory saying that they've been hiding UFO evidence. No, it's the opposite. It's a conspiracy theory saying they will they use will that use this as cover. Exactly. Okay, So, I'm so amazing.
2: fucking interesting. Do what you remember would be the a good method of mind control that's like global? Well, water poisoning, which is what people have been suggesting for years, or like that they're putting something into our dr- water, our drinking water, of and course. this is making us docile.
3: Of course, sort mm. of amiable, making us
2: into little sheeple. Yeah. What else? What else does everyone love? Uh, well, surely oxygen. Exactly. Food. Chemtrails are real. Chem. It is. It has to be. There's got to be something at the bottom of this, though. Like, why would you torpedo your own career like that?
3: Ta- like, oh what possible God.
2: reason do you have? So he's finished with the US government. He's completely, everybody's interviewing him right now. He's a young enough guy. He's in his kind of late 40s, I'd say. Incredibly articulate, totally qualified. And completely convincing in his testimony. Why do they only have totally shit pictures of it? Well, he's like, well, I can't, I can't release Surely. any. any ca- so that all they that have the best cameras, but but they haven't released it. Like all of that would be completely confidential, and he'd be in serious shit, which he probably already is now but, for releasing anything like that. So this is one pic I've got up. Did you see that pic? There's millions of of ones like that. So it's black and white.
3: This is supposedly taken by U.S. Navy pilots, and it, you can see. That they seem to be above the clouds. Yeah. Moving and at in at speeds that no, explain. What looks
2: to be a small tic tac. The Tic Tac film. So that was I covered that a while ago. Yeah. That was another really convincing so there was two fighter jets um both filming that and speaking oh. to each other at the same time. Yeah. Like what and they they have all of those transcripts, all of that recording and this visual thing that looks like a tic-tac. And they're both talking to each other in that footage, going like, what the fuck is this? Can you see it from your angle? And it was moving at speeds and in directions that they that nothing our current technology today could achieve.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. So, like, the Pentagon report from 2021 mm. this is quite compelling in that, like, they're willing to admit that... There's been more than one hundred and forty instances of let's just call it UFO for ease. Mm-hmm. UFO encounters that could not be explained. Yeah. One hundred and forty. Yeah. Now they are insisting on changing the name, which is just they keep doing fucking this. They're, Stop just, it. they're just being obstreperous. I know. Like just fucking give in. This is what like what is it? So unexplained unexplained. Yes.
2: What is it? There's stand a for? reason for it. so there was originally the Unexplained UFOs unidentified flying objects. They've amended it to include um because their belief now is that there's something under the sea as well because they're seeing some of these um unidentified objects come from the ocean. Oh, upwards. that's it.
3: Unexplained anomalous phenomena.
2: Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? Do you yeah. not think this is amazing? This There's is also. It. We're going to see it in our lifetime. We will. I'm excited. Real. I'm really excited. Okay, I'm back on board. Book Operation Bluebeam. This is exciting. This is real. I would prefer them to take us all out. The than aliens. some human created disaster, which we're headed towards. It would oh. be so much more satisfying. I just feel like those people with the fingers on the nukes are so bloody jittery.
3: I'd say mm. the first fucking whisper. Of Independence Day and they'll have fucked us all to hell. There was Speaking a... of, oh my God. I have a fucking hard on. Permabone for Oppenheimer the movie. Yeah. I have watched the trailer at least eighteen times now. Fucking amazing. Cillian Murphy's playing Robert Oppenheimer. It's a if anyone casting. remembers our episode about the Manhattan Project and nuclear weapons. Go and see it. It's Chris Nolan's latest. Have you seen it? No. It's I've just watched the trailer so many times. Can't wait. So good. That's going to be great. And I I didn't realize it was coming out, but Osmosis. I must have. I must have seen it somewhere. Although, actually, what sparked that episode was a creep tweeting that photograph. Do you remember the photograph of the dancer? That's right. Oh identical yeah, to yeah. Killian Murphy. Oh no, a different, no different tweet. You're thinking of the baseball
2: player there this week who's identical now, to Killian Murphy. That's worth googling. If they you are haven't seen it, Ident- like oh he, yeah, sure Camille I seen Murphy him. Murphy is a fairly unique-looking individual. He certainly is not a bog-standard human. I
3: he say. could have played Voldemort with no prosthetics. Totally agree. Yeah, mm. also dehydrated massively. Yeah, I think give him a <laughs> little the drink lips. of water. He's it's a dry. He's very dry lips. Definitely the best-looking man that we've ever produced. Oh my God! You see, Christy Dignam died. Very sad. It's very sad. God he was him. a true man.
2: 63. I met him once. Did you? Was he a nice guy? Like
3: literally only a few years ago. Really nice. Not like surprised. he agreed to appear in a picture with me. Oh, so nice. Um, okay, get into it. Get into it. Okay, another uh, person we lost this week. Not quite as beloved as Christy. Ted Kaczynski. A.K.A. Unabomber. I can't wait for this. I know nothing. Uh, You know nothing? No. So, Ted, in a nutshell, uh, was the subject of one of the most exhaustive and longest manhunts in FBI history. Um, Literally, they were looking for him for 20 years. And it was all the behavioral sciences unit. Um, so the guys who inspired Manhunter. That ah, m- oh, sorry. Profilers. Mindhunter. Mind Mind that that
2: fuck face Fincher won't give us back. So annoying, so
3: He's so annoying. Like, that was brilliant. I know. And he had set up se- season three to be Bittica. So, what the fuck is this We problem? need Bittica. Bittica. Why would he not come back? Yeah. Just, they just, he said, they wouldn't give him the budget. It's that not is. fair. It's not fair because there isn't enough Jonathan Groff either. We need more of him. I don't get upset about it, but like, don't tee up BTK and then piss about. Agreed. It's, it's not, not on. Good enough. Mm. It's not on. Anyway, um, Ted Kaczynski. Um, so basically, yeah, the behavioral sciences unit. They were kind of in their infancy when the manhunt began in 1979, and um, but they it was one of their first big profiler cases, mm-hmm. and um, it's funny because they actually created their profiler the profile of the Unabomber um, early in the uh, manhunt, and when he was finally arrested in 1995. Years later, and they looked at the original profile, it actually had been really spot on and loads of things. It was crazy. So what Ted Kaczynski did was send bombs via the mail. Um, Homemade numbers, mostly made with wood, loaded with nails and shrapnel. He uh, killed three people um, and injured 23 others. Um, with 16 bombs that were all sent over a 17 year period mm. Sorry there's a lot of numbers there mm-hmm. But um, basically like sending a bomb in the post is uh, An
2: asshole move It's not Fake, on no, no.
3: It's really not on um, The injuries were horrific <sighs> Like this was not opening a letter a bit of poof mm. and Like a few burns. This was like people losing hands. Like lifelong injuries. um, Absolutely uh, harrowing shit. Okay. Ted Kaczynski, born in 1942. Um, He went, he was very, very intelligent. Okay. And he was born to um, Polish immigrants um and uh his parents were uh, very working class um obviously pursuing the kind of American dream mm-hmm. um like so many were at the time um his dad uh ted senior um was a sausage maker
2: oh wow, there's got to be a better word for that. I know a sausagery, a butcher <laughs> bingo. <laughs>
3: Okay, so um, it, when he was a, t- a child, so when he was in, like, national school, s- he seemed to be um, totally nor- normal kid. Like, his mom said he was a really good-natured baby. Great. Until one day he was beset by hives. Oh. Oh. And he they had no idea what all the hives were about and she said that they like brought him to be treated and when he came he was when he went to hospital um to look at the hives and when he came home from hospital she said he was like a different child had been returned to them so i mean childhood illness really traumatic mm. um it was never i couldn't find anything about what the actual hives were or what his treatment was but just weird that she now if my son had just been outed as a um, domestic terrorist who'd murdered three people and injured 23 other gravely, I might actually also try and cook up a
2: bit of an excuse. Yeah, that sounds... That's like, kind of normal response. Mm,
3: yeah, definitely actually might have. Mm. I would have been like, wasn't my parenting because I'll tell you what, where it started, was when he was away from me. It was the eczema. It was the eczema. Yeah. Mm. Um, so then um, he was then tested, right? So he was kind of displaying above average intelligence mm-hmm. as a kid, as a young kid. And they tested him his IQ, and he was found to be uh, at an IQ of 167, which is which very is high. Seven meads. Um, <laughs> and so just for comparison, Einstein is said to have had an IQ of um, one six seven as well. Wow, which is crazy. In fact, it's possible Einstein was even less than Ted because they have his. Uh, he's in the one sixties. Ted for sure one six seven. So that's crazy. So he was showing such promise that they skipped him through the sixth grade, sixth class. And um, moved him up into, um, they have middle school in America for those two years and then high school. Do you know that kind of way? Mm-hmm. So they skipped him up a grade anyway into middle school. And later Ted said that this event um, fucked him really up. fucked him up because he had, in his early years, been very sociable. And after skipping ahead of all his like friends, he didn't fit in with the older kids and he was then bullied mercilessly. Again, if we're, if we're harvesting excuses from childhood, that's a reach. Maybe a reach. But anyway, he went on to high school where he just was like a star um, pupil in terms of acad- academics. He was a member of the maths club, German club, biology club. He was very, very intelligent. He played trombone in the band. Um, he, one former classmate said he was just seen as this walking brain. Like, he was just, he wasn't on anyone else's level. Mm. He was intensely interested in maths, spent hours studying and solving advanced problems, and... Um, he did have a penchant for carrying around a briefcase which may not have helped with the socializing aspect of high school
2: I mean it's a red rag to a bully
3: yeah he was like he was advanced into more and more advanced maths classes um but he just kind of kept skipping up the grades because like he was just mastering shit so fast and like he, by the time he graduated, he was actually still only 15. Whoa. And he, I mean, won uh, like a National Merit Award. He applied to Harvard. He was accepted to Harvard at 15. And he started at the age of sixteen, in the end of the fifties. It's just
2: not a good idea on to a scholar child. Into college. I don't know if anyone
3: remembers the film Little Man Tate, of course, starring Jodie Foster.
2: Heart it really
3: freaked me out.
2: Oh, I always do. You get remember with him? Fraser versus Fraser,
3: Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah, very different film, but also Small good. Small boy focused. Small boy, yeah. Little man Tate is when he's like a savant and he goes to right. college. She's and she's like his mom. As far as I remember, like some college girl like shows him her tits and he's really young and it freaked me out a lot. Gack. I need to look into that. Anyway, so he got to Harvard at 16, um, which is arguably way too young to go to university. Definitely. Like Bad you don't know idea. what you're at. You can't have fun with anyone yet. No. Because you're so young. And he was also just like off on his own because it was like America where a lot of people go away to college. Of and he was from Illinois originally. So they packed him off to Harvard and he lived there, you know, like he was he living out on his own for the first time. Yeah. Um, in the late 50s. And so he um, had been placed in a house that was supposedly for the youngest students who were kind of like Class as kind of precocious. Um, And so, like, that was something, but he still never socialised. He was described as very reserved, very intelligent. He uh, was doing something called... What's it called again? Pure maths, which is super extra bonus party maths. And um, he said of his, like... um, a dissertation i guess it was or his like graduating sort of study paper what would yeah you know yeah, thesis kind yeah. of thing one of his professors said of his thesis that literally this would be beyond all but about 10 people wow. in america like that they wouldn't even be able to appreciate it like it was just
2: now, fucking did Ted have any friends? Ted? No, no, nobody. Absolutely not. And totally isolated in his mind. Until
3: he was befriended <gasps> by a man called Henry Murray. So, do we all remember MK Ultra?
2: Obviously.
3: And do we all know that Ted Kaczynski was a subject, subject of MK Ultra? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's apparently it's not suspected. It is confirmed. completely confirmed. Ooh. Yeah. Now, the one thing is like, with MKUltra, we know that a lot of people were like spiked with LSD. Some other people were like knowingly, knowingly given LSD mm-hmm. and in, in patients at psychiatric institutions were given LSD, mm-hmm. which is just such a great mix. Um, but with Ted Kaczynski's experiments, it, he wasn't dosed with acid, so it was one of the experiments that didn't involve I see. LSD, even though Henry Murray, the psychologist who led the experiment, was on a lot of acid himself, I think. Yeah. Pretty much. So it was when he was in his second year at Harvard, there was a um, study um, kind of advertised, and he participated in it. And for the study... Do you know the way you'd be doing a study and you might necessarily know what... They wouldn't necessarily tell you what it is they're looking for in the study because that might affect the outcome yeah. or
2: affect people's behaviour in the study. We've all done those marketing... Uh, yeah. What do you call them? Like uh, consumer fucking... Sit in a room, talk about crackers. Yeah. What the fuck is that called? Anyway. Anyway, so
3: in the... This is, what the, this is what the subjects were told was happening. They said, you're going to debate personal philosophy mm. with another student. And we're going to ask you to write essays just talking about yourself and your personal beliefs and your aspirations. And so they all did this, thinking, well, oh, it's fine. Mm. And then what happened in the study that has later been described as purposely brutalizing a purposely brutalising psychological experiment. So they gave their essays to an anonymous individual. They were never told who this was. And um, this person would confront and belittle the subject mercilessly um, in what Henry Murray himself called vehement, sweeping and personally abusive attacks. Oh, wow. Using so, the content that the subjects mm. had offered about themselves, in good faith, as
2: ammunition. In which to like, with which to like, break them down. And that was the whole concept of MKUltra. Mind control. Mind control. can we control somebody utterly? Yeah, mm-hmm. and can we like,
3: deprogram them? Pro- exactly. Um, Like, implanting. They were experimenting with things like implanting false memories. Yeah. And, um and memory erasure as well. Um, And so they used things like electrodes to monitor the subject's physiological reactions. They, the subjects, like the kind of, um, the fucking belittling and uh, abusing um, encounters were filmed. And then they cut together each of, all of the subjects' different expressions of anger and rage and then they had the subjects in a room where they played back to them, them all their reactions during the abusive um, scenario. Okay. So, I and mean, that is up. intense mind fuckery. Yeah. And remember, he's only Ted Kaczynski he's is only not still only 16. He's only seventeen. Holy shit! This so, is not to excuse anything that happened later, by the way, no. but. It's definitely like may have real had an darkness, and mm. um, that this was totally government sanctioned as well. Was he, and was he
2: interviewed after that, or the about this particular interview? Or? Yeah, he said stuff about it later. Okay,
3: um, the experiment lasted three years, and Ted said Fuck that um, as a part of the study, somebody would verbally abuse and humiliate him every week. Wow, and. They calculate that he spent two hundred years as, as two hundred hours as a part of the study being abused. Jesus. Yeah, and so um, like Kaczynski's lawyers later said that like this kind of contributed towards like his what well, eventually became his like pervasive hostility towards like institutions, the CIA, yeah, uh, government, mind control techniques. I mean, it's fair to say that um you know these probably contributed to motivations that he developed later um and um though he himself so other people believe this could have contributed but ted says that um oh sorry Yeah, Ted said that he was quite confident his experiences with Professor Murray had no significant effect on the course of his life. But I would say that Ted Kaczynski going into that experiment was quite a maladjusted individual. Like, he did not have a social life. Like, he did not have a a circle. He did not have friends of any description. So, like, I would say that his perception of what, like, might have had an effect on him might have been skewed probably already skewed yeah so anyway he left harvard he um went to uh michigan another university to get his master's and then his doctoral and um, he then basically um became a teacher in california in berkeley and this was now in the 60s and um, where um like, there was loads of, like, student protests and loads of, like, civil uprising, um, you know, in, throughout the 60s in, well, a lot of universities in the States. But, like, and, and like, worldwide and stuff. But, like, there was a lot of, like, consciousness raising around um, race. human rights and race mm. and um, sexuality. And um, he didn't participate in any of that. Hmm. Um, he just did his job. Has been said to have been a... Shit teacher. <laughs> really? Well, I would say okay. not very charismatic. No. Um, others said of him during that time, he was an unusual person. He was not like the other stu- graduate students. He was very focused on his work. Um, he had a drive to discover mathematical truth. I think I may not be smart enough to totally understand what mathematical truth would be. Was he an anti-social individual? Well, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, he never had friends. He never socialized. He it
2: seems at all do we know what he said you remember in the first sorry to hark back but in the in that experiment when he wrote his manifesto or whatever it was for the original experiment mm. do we have an insight into what what the that was or what his mind was pre harassment well um
3: they d- didn't make public that stuff and after it was revealed that he was an alumnus of harvard and had participated in the study they completely locked down all the information relating to him yeah massively so um yeah so there was um like there's some suggestion that in the kind of 60s he had some um I suppose he was kind of grappling with his identity, sexuality. um, But uh, he kind of carried on, you know, by now he was kind of in his mid-twenties. As I said, he was teaching. um, And, uh, yeah, so after he, he decided one day, like, just fuck Berkeley and fuck teaching... And he moved back to his parent's house in Illinois. Like he definitely was not a normal, like, well, you know, like he wasn't leading a normal life. No, and um,
2: that isolation by any
3: measure, yeah. like, very isolated, mm. like, extremely um, nope. focused Peer on his support. field of mathematics, though, like, and basically the where the kind of field that he worked in sort of basically ceased to exist after the 60s. Um, this article says it was because most of its conjectures had been proven. So that was it. Which is kind of weird, isn't it? I guess. Now, they did say, oh, he probably, if he'd kept at it, he would have just moved into another area mm. of mathematics. But um, he just resigned around that time anyway at the end of the 60s. And he moved back in with his parents. And then, like, he basically seems to have become quite obsessed with the idea of living off grid and he moved to a cabin in 1971 so by then he was 27 I want to say yeah so 42 much. sorry it might have been 29 anyway moved to this remote cabin in cabin in Montana that he built himself um and there was no electricity or running water and he was definitely kind of now wanted to kind of live the life of an Dead Steve, is that what the word is? Uh, like simpler life with like he had this real like hatred of
2: so technological
3: sorry. advances.
2: How oh, interesting! Yeah, yeah. He is a YouTube channel uh, waiting to happen. <laughs> he is an absolute dream. I know, no. So he did like re- work little odd jobs. So he was like, it's said
3: that he was like living remotely in the wilds of Montana, but he actually like, was a bike ride to like the nearest town. And um, people knew of his did, existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did like odd jobs and things like that in the nearest town for bits and pieces of money. But he also was like, got like loads of like financial support from his family.
2: That's what's going to make, so he was remained in contact. So he was
3: the ultimate like poser in a way. He was like I reject society and I'm going to live off grid but also With my, my allowance late. is late <laughs> exactly. Yes, my little pickup a two. so yeah he wanted to like live sufficiently and he like volunteered at the local library um people in the nearest town it was called Lincoln Montana um totally um like chatted to him and things like that. Like one of the librarians is like, yeah, he used to talk to me about books all the time and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, so basically uh, a census taker, so census takers are visiting your cabin. You don't live that remotely. Mm -hmm. So a census taker went uh, out to him in 1990 and uh, uh, reported in the census that it was a cabin. It had a bed. It was like 10 foot by 12 foot. So half, half the size of this room. I guess. Okay. Small. There was a bed, two chairs, storage trunks, a gas stove, and lots and lots of books. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it was after a couple of years of living off-grid. Now, his cabin. I was picturing a very shitty cabin. Because he didn't have any background in woodwork. Okay. And he built it himself. But it's actually quite a solid looking thing. Now. Let me have a look. There's no... His there's actual no cabin. Running, there's cabin? no shitter
2: there's no running water
3: yeah so that's not not pleasant so anyway it was in 1975 that he started little bits and pieces of hijinks so for example he um did a bit of arson uh did a bit of booby trapping um of so Home alone at this style. point in the mid 70s there was kind of industry moving into the area where he was and like you know they were um building like new infrastructure and things like that that were beginning to encroach on his solitude mm-hmm. so he did like bits of booby trapping of those kind of building works and things like that and um so um he then also started to become obsessed with how advanced society advancing and advancing it being driven by technology was a really fucking bad idea. And he got very um, upset at the idea of where it was all going. He'd gotten obsessed with this book called The Technological Society that was written by a philosopher called Jacques Ellul. French and basically was saying that um, it was that modern society was being dominated um, by technology interesting and
2: look where we are now yeah,
3: yeah yeah and basically that like it would just alter all areas of life including science and uh, politics and human relations and in the negative and, um, so, uh, it was when Ted was on a bit of a little walk and he was going up to, a a kind of old plateau that he used to walk up to a lot. And there was like kind of cliffs and ravines and a waterfall up there. And it was about two days hike from Ted's cabin and it was his favorite spot, um, until, um, he realized he went up there and um, he had decided that he was going to move his whole um, kitten caboodle up to this kind of more remote, remote place. And then when he went up to stake it out, he found out that they were building a road. Oh, here oh, A little tear rolled down That's Ted's it. cheek. And he said, this is not fair. Hey, bullshit. I'm trying to live off grid here. Stop wrecking it, you ruiners. And he later wrote in his diaries, dear diary, you just can't imagine how upset I was. It was from that point on that I decided that rather trying to acquire further wilderness skills, I would work on getting back at the system. Uh Mm Uh-oh. The turning point. Revenge. So it was, um, yeah, It was the beginning of um, his campaign of uh, murder and mayhem. It was 1978 when he first mailed, when he first began mailing bombs. um, And uh, he was full of little, well actually, oh no, I'll come back to the diaries. He was full of little kind of in-jokes and... um, Little kind of misleading clues and things like that. and um, basically really, really loving the smell of his own shite at this point. I mean it smells I'm a lot very like smart. In cell territory. It's quite incelly, yeah. And actually that was something that happened before he moved to the total wilderness wilderness and he was living in his parents for that little stretch. He actually had a kind of a job. And um, in his father owned like a rubber factory and that was where his father and his brother worked. And they said, we'll have, have we'll give Ted a little job as well. And when he was there, he went on a date with a woman and um, he came home and said they had shared an evening. Lovely. Uh And had some conversation. Okay. And then when the woman just was like, well, that was nice, but, you know. No spark. No spark. He got very upset and said, I shall move to the wilderness then. So that had kind of prompted his move. Gotcha. And um, so he, his first mail bomb um, was sent to... um, northwestern northern western university and um that's why he's called that's why they dubbed him the unabomber, unabomber. that it was universities and airports bombing and mm. um, because they were his main targets so his first bomb was mailed in, in 1978
2: mind, <laughs> it was because he was in a unitard okay that's in how a I unitard remember. yes Okay, That's right. What happened? Um, 1978. Yeah, and what he did was
3: to kind of throw um, the, like, police off his track and stuff, he would often, like, mail these bombs that he made at home in his little cabin with his little hammer and his nails. um, And he would post it with insufficient postage on it and then he'd put the return address oh, of whoever he really wanted to target. Very good. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, not to be like, yeah. No, but, but it's terrible. It's, it's a good idea. But nobody do it, please. So he had wanted to mail um, this bomb to a professor of materials engineering called Buckley Christ. And so um, the package basically was returned to Christ who saw the package and was, this is the one flaw in Ted's plan, he was suspicious because he didn't remember sending the package. Um, and so he contacted the campus police um, and a campus police officer opened the package, which caused an explosion and um, minor like minor injuries in this instance. Um, and uh, the... Um, it was minor cuts and burns from that bomb. And then it was around the the same time as this bombing that he went back to Chicago for a time, went back to the rubber factory and um, then um, was fired um, literally after months um, for writing insulting limericks about mm. a female supervisor. And um, so uh,
2: he tried to go back, failed Yes, and, returned to and his then cabin. returned
3: to his little cabin and returned to his bombing. And um, The second bomb, he sent again to... Well, he actually planted the second bomb rather than posting. And it was... He would put a bomb inside a cigar box and left it on a table again in Northwestern University. And this caused, again, like some minor injuries or, you know... I mean, injuries are injuries um, to a student when he opened it. And so then... If the following year Such he started it's thinking. Indiscriminate. It's just indiscriminate, yeah. 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 Um it's uh I suppose like he had this kind of interest in thinkers that were like anarchists mm. uh, and things like that. So there's definitely Um, something of that in these kind of the random acts of violence and stuff and obviously things like the anarchist cookbook is like full of recipes for bombs and things like that and so uh, in 1979 uh, his third incident was putting a bomb in the cargo hold of an American Airlines flight and flying from Chicago to Washington and only that it had a faulty, faulty timing mechanism, it would have exploded. Um, so, but instead, it only just released smoke, which the, was detected during the flight. They had an emergency landing, and authorities later on examining the bomb were like, this would have obliterated the plane.
2: Um,
3: so that was, I think, the first incident of uh, terrorism on an airplane Wow, uh, that I could find. And so that's when they started galvanizing and getting the FBI involved because they were like, well, this gonna, is gonna, fucked.
2: Yeah. And... Um, Had they connected all the other bombs at this point? Probably not.
3: Well, I don't know if they were quite connecting them yet. Um, hey, I think they actually were, up? kind of, because, like I said, there was little kind of clues and things like that. Um, like, they were finding little kind of um, inscriptions on the bombs, like, FC... Yeah which stands for the very coolly named
2: Freedom Club.
3: Oh, God. Oh, I have a club. It's called the Freedom Club. You can't call yourself a club if there's only one person. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Um, Not like the Creep Club. <laughs> there's
2: definitely more than one.
3: Yes. Um, he wanted, I, they think he wanted people to believe there was more than one. Yeah. Um, and that there was a kind of like a terrorist cell. Rather than just a man in a shed. He built himself shitting in a bucket. Um, So, yeah, yeah, he had the FC thing. um, He left notes inside the bomb sometimes. Um, In the bomb uh, that didn't detonate, um, there was a little note inside that said, Woo, it works. I told you it would. Um, And, um, yeah. (laughs) So... He sent one bomb embedded in a book, um, a novel um, called Ice Brothers, uh, and it's mad. Like, so the book like exploded on opening. A bit like, yeah, a bit like. so you could buy. take the book out of the envelope and look at the book, and then somebody it opened, when opened, the book opened and it and exploded. Wow. It was like the cards with the singing, exactly. And so, through all the bits and bobs now that were kind of emerging, the FBI were like, okay, there's a definite theme of nature um, and woods. So, that book obviously contained nature, and there was often bits of tree branch and bark in the bombs. And um, some of his targets included people with the surname Wood. And there seemed to be a bit of an obsession with wood. Okay. And um, he had wood for wood. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> nice. So, you know, on into the 80s, there was more bombs sent to campus. Um, there was um, a injuries caused to different professors at the campuses and... Then um, the very first person who was killed, so there was, throughout the early 80s, um, another three um, bombs, um, people severely injured. A lot of these people were in universities. Um, And then in late 1985, um, there was a bomb planted in the car park of a computer shop. Remember technology he doesn't like technology and it was a bomb full of nails and splinters Shit. and basically it was left on the ground and it was kind of biggish like a I think like about a foot long and just looked like a Weird. bit of detritus that would damage cars if they rolled over it or anything. So um this guy who owned the computer shop and um, Went to pick it up and clear it out of the way And it exploded and killed him Yikes Actually sent a nail right into his heart oh, I mean obviously there was a lot of other things arsehole. Fucking arsehole. Um Then there was a similar incident that took place two years later Again, bomb was disguised as like a lump of wood And injured a a, a guy in the car park of another computer shop he does not like computers um and the computers will rise up so I must have my revenge um so with these um bombs being planted there was actually witnesses offering kind of um t- descriptions to a sketch artist and so there is like the very famous sketch of him which shows like a hooded man with a mustache and aviators and that kind of became pretty famous then Ted took a little break, six years off, and then in 1993, he mailed a bomb to the home of a professor, um, and that very same weekend, who, okay, so that professor lost a few um, fingers, Eye of that bomb. Same weekend, he mailed a bomb to another professor who was a computer science professor, propagator of evil. Um, and that professor lost sight in one eye Damn. and his hearing and a portion of his right hand. Like, this is fucked Ted's up. Ted's out of
2: control. Ted
3: is a fucking prick. And um, then, um, do you know what's mad as well? It's not like he could. Look up addresses on the internet because A, he hated the internet yeah. and B, it wasn't what it is today mm-hmm. in the early 90s, late so 80s. He was just going on the he yellow He was just pages. doing massive, yeah, 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 legwork. And again, like that total disregard for who opened this thing or who could have opened it. Like he it had vague his target. targets, oh, it's but so gross. did not give a shit. Um, so, um, Again, then he in 1995, um, he murdered or killed like one of his bombs killed uh, a president of a timber industry lobbying group. So he was a bit pissed off more wood there Mm -hmm. and pissed off, obviously, of the uh, timber industry. And um, then in 95, he started to want a bit of attention.
2: He, he wanted. Wasn't, he wasn't getting the attention. Well, did he want to be known for what he was doing?
3: Yeah, like, that's he the thing. He wanted the
2: glory. And the
3: mad thing is that this was in the mid-90s. So he'd been going since 1979. So like, it's a long out time. He
2: really, like... He was ready for... It's very possible that he really could have never been identified. Like... Definitely. I mean, it, it sounded like an almost impossible thing to track down. Like, yeah. what did they know? They knew he liked wood... Yeah, he was probably near trees. Maybe. He obviously had a disdain for technology, all of these places he was hitting. I yeah. Mean, that does not narrow down the search.
3: No, not at all. And he was really meticulous about not putting fingerprints on it. And obviously, he was kind of like peppering the whole thing with false leads as well and stuff like that. So it was around then that he just wanted a bit more attention. And so he mailed letters to several newspapers in 1995, um, outlining his goals. And um, he wanted, he was demanding that a major newspaper print his um, essay or manifesto. I want you to print my manifesto.
2: Under his real name?
3: No. No. Unibobber. So, no, no. This was a 35,000 word, so half a book long. Uh, It was called Industrial Society and Its Future. And um, he said that if they printed his manifesto, he'd stop all the bombing. He just wanted to get his name in the paper. Um, So there was a lot of controversy around whether they should print the essay. Um, And um, they decided... To do it, because they said, Look, if he says he'll stop bombing, okay, yeah, mm. and like also if that's a lie, we're still only in the same, we're still at the same exactly. square, we're not like back, yeah, and the other thing that they were hoping was that a reader would read it and say, well, I this, know this sounds guy. very like John, exactly. yeah, and so it was Penthouse who get out and um, it said they would do it, and Ted was like, no. Oh, not, high-brow not highbrow enough. Sorry, guys. Slight change on audio. We've just had to switch to Zoom. But okay, so Kaczynski wanted a more highbrow um, destination for his incredible Unabomber manifesto, mm-hmm. and so the New York Times agreed to step up, as did no apologies. The Washington Post stepped up and published the essay on September 19, 1995. And uh, so Kaczynski used a typewriter to write the manuscript and it did a lot of uh, wow. capitalising of entire words for emphasis, which is very blogger 2010 of him. and um, lot of shouty um, capital words. And he referred constantly to himself in the first person plural, and um, hmm. I think, again, to lend legitimacy to his little freedom club my freedom club and there is like to this day no evidence that he worked with others at all and um so the uh manifesto was called industrial society in its future and it opened with the industrial revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race I genuinely there's a lot in his manifesto that you're like mm, where's mm. the lie especially from the vantage point of 2023 yes. when the whole world is just one big dumpster fire and we're all constantly on the cusp of nervous collapse from social media and a deluge of information and anxiety
2: Can I <laughs> and ask, he said that yeah in, in that manifest- manifesto against the dangers of the, like did he make any predictions that ha- have in fact come to light or was it a generalized I have a feeling well, this is bad this. he
3: wrote that technology has had a de- and this is in 1995 so the internet has begun but isn't like widely used by the total mm. gen pop yet like because the internet kind of began with like uh academics and engineers and things like that and certainly he wasn't getting internet in his little homemade hut in Montana. So anyway, he wrote that technology has had a destabilizing effect on society, has made life unfulfilling, and has caused widespread psychological suffering. And I could put that on my gravestone. Fascinating. <laughs> like, that is, that feels true, mm. you know? And mm-hmm. um, he said that people spend their time engaged in useless pursuits because of technological advances, like he calls these activities surrogate activities. So, where people strive toward artificial goals and um, consumption of entertainment. Um, he was a bit down on following sports teams. And he said that um, further technological advances would lead to extensive human genetic engineering. That's on the horizon, probably. Um And that human beings would be adjusted to meet the needs of social systems rather than vice versa, which is really interesting if you look at it through the lens of capitalism and how work has changed, for example, um in the last three decades. And like how work and capitalist model is widely agreed to be detrimental to human nature and our needs and yet we have we have adjusted the system hasn't adjusted so like it's i think that's like all like not to be like giving credit to the unabomber but all of that rings very true to me now like i do think that there he is kind of like you know a he almost has this kind of religion of ludditism do you know what mm-hmm. i mean and like that's not beneficial like loads of technological advances is, are important and major and brilliant. Um, but I just think it's really interesting that he totally did anticipate a lot of what's panned out. Like he wanted to go, like, he was calling for a return to like back to basics lifestyle um, primitivist lifestyles as it's called. And um, like also I really like the internet and I don't want to do that Ted. And also things like, penicillin and um antibiotics and other um <laughs> technological in useful. the field of medicine are useful exactly and um, he said that but i do think it's really interesting that he like really heavily critiques the system that like and he thinks that like the system is gaining control over our human behavior and like that feels like I don't I just feel like we all are living under the lash of a system that's not fit for purpose like and it's a system of like racism and classism and you know like unequally distributed wealth and wealth hoarding like all of that's real you know so I do think it's um it's interesting that a lot of his ideas are pan out like he does um he's pretty down on leftist uh and totally um he so a significant portion of his manifesto is dedicated to discussing left-wing politics and he like attributes loads of the issues to leftists which is kind of funny because some of what he says you would think is kind of more socially well that it could be progressive but it's completely not he defines leftists as socialist um politically correct types he would hate the uh, woke era. Feminists throw a few gays under the bus here. Disability activists—they're obviously <laughs> huge root cause of issues. Animal rights activists. Um, so, like, um, you know, it's it's all over the place. Ted's all over the place. He's all over the page, and um, he—but he does refe- reject fascism. Great. Right? Good. One point for Ted there um but uh, yeah it's um it's just a general huge critique of modern society and um like of so when it was re- re- reviewed like loads of people were weighing in on what they thought of this manifesto obviously and like um you know there was writers writing in the op-ed sections of the new york times and the atlantic and all kinds of places saying uh, one quote was if if this is the work of a madman then the writings of many political philosophers um, such as Karl Marx, are scarcely more sane. And he said, the Unabomber does not like socialisation, technology, leftist political causes or a conservative attitude. He just hates everything. Okay, Apart yeah. from his call for an unspecified revolution, his paper resembles something that a very good graduate student might have written. Um, and then, I mean, uh, a guy who was a fellow um, a peer at Harvard University wrote in the Atlantic in the year 2000 that it is quote It is true that many believed Kaczynski was insane because they needed to believe it, but the truly disturbing aspect of Kaczynski and his ideas is not that they are so foreign, but that they are so familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, he argued we need to see Kaczynski as exceptional, madman or genius, because the altern- uh the alternative is so much more frightening. And um, so I guess the alternative that he wasn't crazy is frightening so uh basically uh, much like btk aka dennis radar and um, the unabombers have uh, little uh yearning for a little bit of attention and um, was his ultimate downfall and um, so basically uh off in another part of america kaczynski's brother ted's brother david was starting to feel a little unsettled by <laughs> um the Unabombers, carry on. And he was like, hmm, This looks familiar. I, I, it's a little bit a little bit Ted, isn't it? And this is, I think, brilliant. David's wife was the one who was really pushing it. So Ted's sister-in-law, and the grand tradition of sister-in-laws everywhere was like, Your brother's a fucking lunatic. <laughs> he's got he's he's got to be the Unabomber. And so then David's a sh- she was kind of pushing David and David was a bit like, no, 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 no. Come on. My brother's not the uniprom. Come on. You just don't like him. You don't, you've you never liked my fam. Um, you never do on it. You never want to do Christmas with them. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, after the manifesto was published, David was like, huh. That's a, this is a familiar tone. And he started looking through old family papers and files and found um, letters that Ted had sent to newspapers in the 1970s um, <laughs> uh, talking about the terrible scourge of technology and using phrasing that was very similar to the manifesto. So basically, Ted, uh, presumably out of a bit of, of laziness, was kind of doing an old-fashioned copy-paste uh-huh. of some of, his, some of his previous work. Um, and so that was when um ted and uh his wife um started to fully believe that um this was very a very real possibility and david hired a private investigator to investigate ted discreetly Um, and and after the um after the manifesto was published, right, there was thousands of responses to the manifest, literally thousands of uh, uh, tips flooding into the FBI. Presumably every sister-in-law on the land was like, gotta be the, that's the brother. Never liked the guy. <laughs> um, and so it was really hard to actually get the FBI's attention. So, and also uh, t- David and the rest of the Kaczynski family did want to protect um the uh, Ted from an FBI raid because they were like the Ruby Ridge uh, raid and Waco, which had both um, ended in the disaster and death and a lot of violence. And um, those raids were still very uh, uh, recent in the minds of America and the family. And so they were afraid that any attempt by the FBI to contact Kedindi could lead to violence um, and like obviously like violence that ted might incite but that could have Mm -hmm. like a devastating you know and so basically um they ultimately were like he's the guy and ted's brother tried to remain anonymous after he had um managed to report his brother but he was yeah he was soon identified and within days um the uh, b- 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 FBI team were dispatched to uh, interview David and his wife, and they had lawyered up at that point. And um, at that all, well, like David totally cooperated. He provided letters written by his brother in their original um envelopes. And that kind of allowed the FBI to like uh, use the postmark dates. To like make a timeline of Ted's like whole activities and stuff, and like David had always admired his older brother, and um he was obsessed with like being anonymous and like that Ted would never find out who dropped him in. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, when he's uh he was like unmasked and it was um revealed that it was the brother, a bit upset. And oh, um, anyway, the FBI agents arrested Ted at his cabin in nineteen ninety six. And um, cursory search just revealed loads of bomb components, 40,000 handwritten journal pages that included wow. bomb making experiments, descriptions of his crimes. There was also a live bomb in the cabin and they found like an early draft of his manifesto. I mean, they were like, yeah, you're, you're the guy." Bomber yeah and um, after he was captured loads of people then started being like maybe he's the zodiac killer as well um, because obviously the zodiac killer is just one of those in, the enduring mystery of like modern murder in america and like i don't, it's one of those ones that i really would like to know before i die
2: it's very important right. to me it's one of my goals it's on my 5 year plan you could plan. Um, write the book about it and then we could all find out after you died. I mean, that would work for oh, us. Allah the Golden State Killer.
3: Exactly. And Michelle McNamara. Yeah. Absolutely killer. gutting how that panned out. Isn't it? Oh, killer. Killer. There's already a brilliant book about the Zodiac Killer that was written by that photographer who worked at the paper at the time and that uh David Fincher based the uh film on. Oh yeah, um, very good book be good i was actually on an airplane only a couple of months ago and found a book about the zodiac killer and i was like oh my god do i need to have a new obsession <laughs> anyway so look basically there we go and um, totally uh stung rapid as they say and a federal grand jury indicted him in just a couple of months after his arrest and uh, they had everything 10 counts of illegally transporting bombs <laughs> mailing using bombs Killing people, maiming people. And all of his lawyers wanted to do an insanity defense to try and avoid the death penalty. But Ted was like, no. Um, he uh, wanted to dismiss his lawyers and um he, he basically got a new lawyer on the basis that this lawyer agreed not to use the insanity defense and instead to base the defense on Ted's manifesto. Mm. Um, <laughs> Uh, this um, request to change his lawyer was uh, denied and after that, uh, Kazinski tried to take his own life and um, they then had a psychologist, a psychiatrist I mean analyse him at the time and they uh, did think that he showed signs of some mental illness but Ted was like, I'm not, not having it not crazy, you're all crazy to not be crazy and you know they they really weren't having it and uh so, yeah, um, basically, he was declared competent to stand trial, so they rejected the insanity and the psychiatric diagnoses, and they sought the death penalty. Ted pled guilty to all charges, because he was, like, wanted to be so I, I think he saw himself as some kind of uh, martyr, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, anyway, he didn't um, get the life, the death penalty, life imprisonment without the possibility of parole, was what he got instead. And then, um, this is interesting, right? So, there was 15 million, it was decided that there was 15 million owed in restitution to um, Kaczynski's victim. Hmm. But obviously, the sale of his homemade cabin really only fetched so much. So in the early 2000s, in 2006, um, they decided to sell loads of his possessions from the cabin on an internet auction. And... I, this is absolutely mad. They sold things that were... Okay, they excluded things like anything that was bomb-making materials, like diagrams and recipes. Yeah. So they weren't putting that on the internet. But, you know, correspondence, personal papers, diaries. I mean, that's mad, isn't it? Mad. And so the auction... Yeah, I mean, it only went so far to, you know, making up to 15 million. But... um. They uh, the auction ran for two weeks in 2011, and they raised a quarter of a million. Oh. so I mean, not not amazing, but also I mean, huge days money. Um, so yeah, he started serving all his eight eight life sentences. Um, and when he was in prison, didn't you get friendly with Timothy McVeigh and oh, Ramsey Youssef? So they were respectively the perpetrators of the 93 World Trade Center bombing, and of course the Oklahoma City bombing um, and they all had a little lovely circle jerk of discussing their religion and their politics and railing against the system and being murderers and um, Ted was said to uh, have um, said about Timothy McVeigh on a personal level I like him and I imagine that most people would like him but he also said assuming the Oklahoma city bombing was intended as a protest against the U S government in general and against the government's actions at Waco in particular, I will say that the bombing was a bad action because according to Ted, it was quote unnecessarily inhumane. According Mm. to the man who mailed nail bombs to strangers and yeah. Okay, Ted, you've got the, uh, the old hierarchy there. Um, they uh, in thousand and five. So Ted was like really active in prison. He was fucking all over the place, and um, he offered to uh, donate two rare books to a library of African studies, um in a college in Illinois, um, which was the same college that was the location of his first two attacks. And the library were like, thanks, but no. They said mm-hmm. they already had copies of the works. I think they also didn't want to. Uh, uh, legitimized Ted Kaczynski in any fucking way Um, they uh had one of the universities in the state in Michigan has Kaczynski's entire correspondence and um, that he has had with over 400 people since his arrest so he is um mad out of it writing you know replies to d- letters legal documents uh he and um, lots of the uh, recipients of those documents, their identity will remain sealed until 2049. It's not. Whoa. So in 2049, we might still be alive and we might learn of the people who were corresponding with Kaczynski in, in prison. Like it could be.
2: Oh, they're a like, murderer. Types. John
3: Wooders corresponded with. Yeah, like John Waters, other murder types or celebrities. John Waters um, corresponded with uh, one of the Manson uh, girls uh, when she was in prison. Linda, name gone momentarily. Anyway, um, he also, um, in 2012, uh, responded to the Harvard, remember he went to Harvard, the Harvard Alumni Association's um, directory inquiry for the 50th reunion of his class. And he listed his occupation as prisoner and he listed his eight life sentences as awards oh wow wow um and uh so what else now is he doing he was transferred in 2021 to a um medical center and after being diagnosed with late stage cancer. And as we know, uh, just this month, June 10th, he was found um, unresponsive in a cell. And uh, they believe at the time of recording that um, he no... had taken his own life.
2: Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like he has uh, published uh, works from prison obviously he had his manifesto in 95 in 2008 he published a work called road to revolution and um, he published articles Um, tech technological slavery volumes one through <laughs> can't find he, in 2016 he published a um a book called anti-tech revolution why and how um which is just mad because he um like basically was still participating in the conversation about technological advances like right up to really recently which is totally crazy he had a following while he was in prison and in 95 a boston artist launched a formal writing campaign to get ted elected president um (laughs) the slogan of the campaign uh, which was launched to convey the sentiment that the American political system is a farce. Um, how prescient. That's 1995, mm. so that's 16 years before Trump was elected. The slogan of the campaign was, if elected, you will not serve. <laughs> um, like I said, he continued writing from prison. Like uh, He was an uh, all-round uh, mad bastard and uh, evil absolutely evil but with some very interesting ideas and obviously like we said at the beginning of the episode very high iq by some measures higher than einstein weird very interesting very interesting
2: i'm glad he's dead Uh, all the same asher there's one last, last
3: prick we're making our way through them The longer we live, the more we'll kind of see them all dispatched off this mortal coil. Do we have time for a quick breaking news?
2: Um, Is this about the submarine? Of course. Thank God for that. I met people on. When did this happen? I met people when I was drunk on Saturday who told me a big fans of the creep. Actually, loads of creeps were hanging around on Saturday evening at Beyond the Pale. It was beautiful. And oh, my God, hello
3: to everyone who said hi. Yeah, it was so nice. But because you two had left, they had no option but to speak to me. And (laughs) um, I got loads of stories. And I think someone was telling me about this submarine. Someone was telling me about breaking news and like really emphatically telling me to go do it. And I had had too many of those little cans of Peroni. So I couldn't (laughs) couldn't get it on the feed. Fair. It would have been a really interesting listen. Just drunk Cathy alone at a festival doing a quick, quick creep.
2: But well, we also trenches. had no internet. So I would um, have just had to say whatever came into my okay, own Everyone,
3: mind. <laughs> Thank you to everyone. Everyone. My DMs have been sunk with tweets and links. Who wants to take us away? You, Soph. You go for it. I haven't read too much into it. Okay, so um, basically, did you know that there was commercial trips down to the wreck of the Titanic?
2: There's a reason we didn't know because there were 250 grand ahead. Yes, so it's not that. I mean, it's commercial, but like only for the elite elite. So it makes me feel less sorry for those trapped under the sea. (laughs) Ah,
0: no. (laughs) I was (laughs) also blown away
2: by how deep the Titanic is. Yeah, yeah. Like so it's, it's
0: nearly on.
3: 4 it's nearly 4 kilometers down. Incredible. Like unbelievable. Um and it's obviously uh, broken into two halves on the seabed floor and uh it's mad how intact those two halves are. And they have like like a total like a huge debris field around it. And so basically this tour firm called Ocean Gate was running um you basically go on an eight-day trip and the eight-day trip include like several dives to the wreck and um yeah as he said quarter of a mil a ticket now there is a british billionaire um on this sub called hamish harding he's uh. a billionaire and explorer And he's among those missing and his family are like on the surface. Like, so Mm -hmm. that's obviously um, really, really awful. So like this, um, the submarine lost contact with the um, support ship above it an hour and 45 minutes into its dive. So they can't use radio um, while doing the dives, but they can communicate with text message. Yeah, isn't that incredible? Like you can text text from the Titanic. What? And um, so they lost contact about an hour and forty five minutes into the, dri- into the drive, into the drive, into the descent. And like so, on social media at the weekend, like only just last weekend, uh, Hamish Harding was said to was saying he was proud to finally announce that he would be aboard the mission to the wreck of the Titanic. And um, they had had like um, really bad conditions, um, and and. That like Newfoundland, where the wreck is closest to, it's still about four hundred kilometers from the uh, from Newfoundland. Um, but uh, the wreck's closest to it, and they'd had a terrible winter, and he think he was saying that that meant this would be the probably only manned mission to the Titanic in twenty twenty three. We have to leave that boat alone. Let's. It is cursed. Enough like, is enough. Truly. Anyway, he wrote that a weather window. Has just opened up and we're going to attempt a dive tomorrow. And it's just like a weather window. No, lads. Oh, now it's not clear if it's something like weather or current related or like literally nobody knows what is happening at all. Um, And do we guys um, know? So,
2: usually what they have, yeah. So, are they gone now? Outside, like have they run out of oxygen i mean are they no uh, have like no. 70 so what hours they have is that for something today isn't it yeah so originally it was a
3: total of 96 hours of life support which is about four days okay is it is that my maths being a bit weird yeah four days yeah 48 hours like Four days. uh roughly and now they're down to 70 at the moment and like the this stuff, this is all unfolding minute by minute. Like there's loads of uh, uh, news outlets just doing live updates. Uh, the submarine carries a pilot, three paying guests, and what the company calls a content expert. So a guide, I guess. Now, right off the bat, I think it's just someone doing like social media. <laughs> social media, just tweeting. And um, right off the bat, I don't like that there's only one pilot. If I was a guest, I'd be like, what if the pilot has a heart attack? I would like two pilots, please. I would like a backup pilot. But anyway, yeah. so there's five of them aboard. The trips that sail from um, Newfoundland, each full dive to the wreck takes eight hours. And it's mad because I'd say, like, I mean, it's pretty much you're in darkness for most of those eight hours. It's so creepy. And the, way, the weight of the vessel is 23 thousand pounds and um this vessel is called the polar prince and it um so anyway uh the support ship is still directly over where they think the sub is right here this is the creepiest aspect to me so basically the passengers are sealed inside this vessel the submarine by bolts that are drilled in from the outside so there's no way to escape by yourself even if the sub was to rise to the surface you can't get out of the sub without
2: crew on the outside letting you out isn't that so so creepy how horrendous would it be if it floated to the surface the gps system got knocked off no one knows where where they are but they're bobbing on the surface choking to death for lack of air Oh,
3: like that would be a bad way to go. No
0: doubt.
3: nightmare. Absolute nightmare. It's terrifying. We'll definitely um, have obviously updates massive the next time we record. search. record. Yeah, yeah. Like massive search is underway. Um and like there's other private um diving companies that have all like rode in, obviously the Coast Guard, everything like that. Um, and it's uh yeah, they think that um Sorry, one sec. Do you know what? I'm actually just trying to find the most up-to-date thing. Do you know what? Uh, I'm having trouble.
2: Not to worry. We can read it. Oh, wait, here we go. Sorry.
3: We just have another update on the other two passengers on the boat. So it's another British businessman, um, Shasada Dawood and his son, Suleman. Mm-hmm. Don't know the age of that son and um obviously there has been over 30 dives to the Titanic since it was first found in the 80s and um, which is actually like weirdly little. and in a way you are a bit like 30 dives it's not like does not a track record make no, like no. imagine how many summits of X of summits of Everest before they started running commercial tours. Do you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's mad. It's absolutely mad. So, yeah, like. Oh, it's it's creeping me out just thinking about it. They've got a few kind of scenarios of what they think might have happened. So one scenario is that. It has released a drop. They had some kind of emergency released a drop weight in order to bring it to the surface and and that they can't find it yet. So they think if there was a power failure or communication failure, they might have done this drop weight procedure. The submersible would be up, bobbing on the surface, waiting to be found, as you described a minute ago, Jen. Literally bobbing, but nobody knows where it is. And in another scenario, he says that the hull might have been compromised and that it could have been letting in in water while you're bolted in.
2: Sunk. It's gone. We'll never find it. Yeah.
3: He said, "If that's happened, then the prognosis is not good. If it's gone down to the seabed and can't get uh, can't get back up under its own power, like the options A-D-D-D. are limited." They said that if the submarine is still intact, but if it's deeper than two hundred meters down, there's very few vessels that can get that deep, mm. and divers can't. No. And they can't get like most of the vehicles des- designed for uh, like sea rescue can't get anywhere near the depth of the Titanic. um. so it's uh,
2: absolutely God, terrifying. Now, we've got about Miles. 10 seconds left on this Zoom before it's going to cut us off. So say goodbye to everyone. And thank love you, you so all. Uh, We'll see you on for the mini which is Thursday. Good night. God bless. Goodbye. Good
3: night.
2: God bless.
1: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.